calling all lovers of mystery and fans of a good story. If you haven't already heard me talk about June's journey, you're in for a treat. It's time to don your detective hat in this free hidden object mobile game that delves into the captivating journey of June Parker, a self-proclaimed detective on a quest to unravel the mystery surrounding her sister's untimely death. In June's journey, you get to play as June, deciphering clues and unveiling secret plots within thousands of beautifully illustrated scenes. And did I mention it's set in the glitzy 1920s? New chapters are added weekly, so you will never run out of new thrills to uncover. And you can also personalize and decorate your very own Orchid Island where the story takes place. How sharp are your detective skills? Find out when you download June's Journey on your Android or iOS device, or play online via Facebook games. Your detective journey awaits. Singularity by Bill DeSmet. Copyright 2004 by William H. DeSmet. All rights reserved. Chapter 37 Dry Run. Galena glanced through the control room window at the time display suspended above the darkened observation gallery. 4.15 a.m. Up above, on the surface, it was the cold gray hour before dawn. Here in Antipode Station, in the heart of a mountain three kilometers beneath the sea, all times were the same. She checked the confinement field readouts for what must be the hundredth time since arriving twelve hours ago. All nominal. The forces pinning Vortilac to the center of its spherical prison were holding, holding as they would tomorrow and next year and forever. Straight ahead through the gloom, she could make out the curve of the ten-meter containment sphere itself, or at least the section of it intersecting the forward wall, the section containing the portal. And off to the left, filling one-third the hall, an enormous crane-like mechanism crouched in the shadows, silent and immobile for now. But soon, very soon, its spidery robot arm would reach out bearing a gleaming message probe, and as it did, the portal would crack open. What could be keeping Sasha? He wasn't going to leave her to do this, this impossible thing all by herself, was he? He had promised. Galia! Sasha's video conference window popped open on her workstation's display. Sasha! Glory to God! It was growing so late, I was becoming afraid... No need, no need. I told you I would be back in time, yes? Sasha smiled, but it was a tired smile, worn thin with care and exhaustion. Now, have you reviewed the insertion procedures? Yes, yes. I have been over and over the materials ever since arriving. The designs, the documentation, the simulations. I know them all by heart now. But... But what, Galia? This has never been tried, none of it. There is no way to test any of it short of actually doing it. How can we possibly be sure it will work? We have the best possible assurance, the probes themselves. Our correct choices here in the present are the enabling conditions for their return to us from the future. 
Sasha chuckled. I thought you said you had read the materials. Read, yes. Understood, perhaps. Believed. Sasha, I confess I do not know what to believe. Well, for instance, did you follow the part describing how we designed the insertion process? How we used the probes themselves to verify the plan for the system that would send them? I think so. Take, for example, your calibrator helmet. Once Sasha was in lecture mode, one could forget about getting a word in. Its proper design is key to the entire program, since without it we could not aim the probes. How did we design it? Simple. We tried multiple promising alternatives. At the point where we had found the correct one, a probe returned, confirming the choice. Galina nodded doubtfully. All right, then, Sasha went on. The procedure is the same at every branch point. We make a commitment to ourselves that, if such and such is the correct way to proceed, then I will send the probe back to, say, tomorrow, confirming that fact. If the choice is not correct, the plan as a whole will fail, and no confirming probe will or can be sent back. Only correct decisions create the necessary preconditions for a future with probes in it. That is, the necessary preconditions for confirming the decision itself. So, she said slowly, the probe will not come until the plan is correct, because until the plan is correct, the future from which the probe comes does not exist. Bravo! You have it exactly. Except, of course, that as of today, that future is the future no longer. It is here and now. Galina's head was spinning. Sasha's explanation seemed no explanation at all, smacking more of black magic than of science. There had to be some fundamental flaw in the logic. But does this not mean that we would possess more information than we have expended effort to gather? And does this not, in turn, violate the second law of thermodynamics, or perhaps even conservation of energy? It only seems that way. Entropy, after all, is not a principle, merely a statistical phenomenon. A general tendency toward increasing disorder, and one, moreover, that admits of localized exceptions. As for energy conservation, it is well known that this may be violated on quantum scales. Energy and time are as complementary as position and momentum. Think of what we undertake here as the intrusion into the macrocosm of a microcosmic uncertainty. Just as your headset itself is a marvelous example of a scaled-up quantum effect. The headset, ah yes, is it not time to use it? To launch the first time probe? Anything to stop thinking about this. Sasha stopped talking so suddenly that for a moment she thought his end of the video conference had crashed and left her staring at a freeze frame. He blinked. The probe. Yes, of course, you are right. I will talk you through the first two or three insertions. Thereafter, you must manage by yourself, as I will be en route to antipode for the Omega sequence. Understood. 
It felt as if a cold, indigestible lump had congealed in her stomach. Sasha's eyes shifted to one side for a moment, as though checking something on an out-of-frame display. Very well, then. If you are ready, let us begin. He was typing as he spoke. Enter the combination now appearing on your screen into the keypad of the lockbox. Lockbox? Ah, yes. She had been wondering about the buffed steel panel set into the surface of her control console. As she tapped in the last digit, that panel slid back to reveal a rack holding eighteen stubby metallic cylinders, each with a date stamped on its top. Select the earliest probe, the one dated 5392, and have one of the techs load it into the launcher. Advise me when this has been done. At the press of a call button, a tech came over and picked up the cylinder. He walked back to the launcher. She couldn't help noticing how cautious he became where his path skirted the red line marking off the higher gravity zones. Galena watched as he laid the probe gently in the open launch chamber and locked it down, then gave her a thumbs up. Done, she reported. Next, put on the calibrator and activate the MRI. She lifted the strange-looking headpiece off its stand. It was cool to the touch, of beige plastic molded into an outsized skullcap. Its padded interior fitted snugly onto the back of her head, with only a braid of cabling hanging down behind. She reached up gingerly and depressed the button located on the front of the device, imagining she could feel the flux as the magnetic resonance imager began scanning her visual cortex. Done, she said. Her heart had begun to pound. Frightened as she'd been on the night they'd captured Vortilak, it was as nothing to this sudden dread in the face of the unknown, the unknowable. In a few moments more, the world-line calibrator would begin capturing what her eyes witnessed as the portal opened and revealed what? We are almost there now, Galia, Sasha said. The launch computer will take over as soon as you have fired the Casimir capacitor. The Casimir capacitor was a small device made up of two concentric superconducting spheres nested excruciatingly close together. Like all capacitors, it was made to store energy, but that's where the resemblance ended. The Casimir capacitor stored negative energy. To do so, it employed a quantum effect discovered in 1948 by the Dutch physicist H.B.G. Casimir. Galena wasn't too clear on the details, something about suppressing some of the electromagnetic vacuum fluctuations in the gap between the spheres, but the end result was straightforward enough. Inject a jolt of negative energy into a charged black hole, already rotating at nearly the speed of light, and its event horizon would be annihilated. What would happen then? No one, perhaps not even God himself, knew. Galia, can you hear me? You must fire the capacitor now. Galina took a deep breath and spoke the command. From the apex of the containment sphere, an injector tube took aim and spit the capacitor directly downward, into the black hole. The reduction in mass was minuscule, but Vortilak was already poised on the knife edge of extremality. Its whirling horizon blurred, melted, then it was gone. To Galina's right, the workstation beeped a brief alarm, then recovered and set to work modeling a wholly new, 
hopefully still staple field configuration. The subliminal hum of the generators changed pitch. With its event horizon gone, Vortilac had stopped emitting radiation. Now only an accretion disk was left to generate power at an ever-diminishing rate. A countdown was added to the overhead time display, fifteen minutes until the cryostats redlined and Vortilac fell. Galena must complete the launch before then and still have time to inject a Casimir rectifier that would close the event horizon and restore full power again. Singularity exposed, the launch computer said. All readings nominal, commencing world-line calibration. Sasha's voice, sounding only marginally more human, spoke in her ear. Now, Galia, you must concentrate. Her eyes widened in awe as, directly before her, a strange light began to spill from the gradually widening portal. You've been listening to Singularity by Bill DeSmet.